0: To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, July 26th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at slashfilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by slashfilm senior writer and weekend editor, Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, let's jump right into the news today. I think actually, as we were wrapping up Friday's podcast episode, some really interesting news broke, and that is that Michael B. Jordan is developing his own Black Superman movie for HBO Max. So we know that JJ Abrams is going to be making a uh, movie for, I think, for Warner Brothers that is going to be. Featuring a black Superman in the lead role, uh, my understanding of that project is that it features the character of Kal El, uh, but just like reimagined as a a black person instead of, uh, you know, the typical uh, you know, whatever whatever you want to call that Kansas white boy of uh, <laughs> you know, even though he's an alien, um, that we've seen in in previous iterations of the uh, Superman mythology, but now Michael B. Jordan is developing his own version of a a Black Superman project. This is for HBO Max, so it's unclear if it's going to be a movie or a streaming show, but evidently the focus in this movie is going to be on a character named Val Zod, which I have never heard of before. But is he, he is a, a black character who's described as one of the last Kryptonians of his universe and the second to, see, to use the mantle of Superman. And evidently, he is from Earth-2, like a, you know, a parallel universe in the multiverse kind of situation there. Um, so, Brad, first of all, since you've been covering you know, superhero lore and all that kind of stuff for the site for a long, long time, have you ever heard of Val Zod before? Did you know about that character? No, I had not encountered
1: uh, that character before. I, I haven't really heard much about him in my superhero bits coverage.
0: So what do you think about the idea of uh, of two, I guess, like parallel Black Superman projects going on and, and specifically about Michael B. Jordan uh, developing this second one here?
1: Uh, it's interesting because I feel like one offers an entirely different spin on Clark Kent and Superman as a character because obviously... What is what defines that character will come from his experience on earth, and the experience of uh you know a, a black child becoming a, a black man is much different than a young you know white boy becoming a white man in America. Mm-hmm. and I think that that has, there's there's an interesting version of Superman there um and I feels like the one that Michael B. Jordan is doing is a Superman that's meant to kind of stand on its own and not be you know, trapped in the the typical traits that have come to define Clark Kent and Superman. So rather than giving us just, you know, a a black version of the character that we know, it's an entirely different character that, you know, we've we've never seen before. You know, it won't just be essentially uh, race swapping that that character. So I I think both of them have um, an intriguing appeal. I think that I'm probably more interested in seeing a completely different version of, of, of super, uh, a superman that's not you know clark kent or, or kal-el mm-hmm. and, and part of me wonders if maybe that's something like that if if that what, that happens to take off before the movie version then maybe that should be the one that like there's a focus on but like at the same time i find myself thinking well let's like well you know why shouldn't you know shouldn't there be a black version of the superman that we all You know, know and love like, you know, why not give that that property and that that character uh, a spin like that, you know, in the same way that I mentioned, but like, you know, JJ Abrams has been attached to Superman project before, and they haven't gone anywhere. Right. (laughs) So, you know, it remains to be
0: seen if this is something that will
1: actually uh, move forward. But yeah, I I think they both hold intriguing possibilities uh, for for, you know, the character
0: yeah the the case that I've seen made for this uh valzad storyline as opposed to the jJ abrams version the the black version of calel is that like you mentioned like valzad is a is a totally different character with his own traits and everything so it's sort of i guess in theory it will feel less like um like you're sort of meeting the project halfway, like like you're doing it as a watered down version, or like you know forced to like you said, sort of live within these boundaries, this, these these established boundaries for this character that you know people have grown up with, and like the idea of introducing a a character who exists in comics but is new to a lot of viewers gives you the opportunity to really treat that character with the same amount of respect that a character like Kal-El has been treated, you know, over the years. So I guess that, that would be like maybe part of the case for why uh, a Val Zod movie would be, um, I don't know, at least more interesting perhaps on the page than uh, than a, a Kal-El film. So yeah, we'll have to see how this goes. I'm, I'm certainly intrigued. And uh, Michael B. Jordan of course has been like mentioned as one of the people who could potentially star in J.J. Abrams, uh, movie for years and years and then he ended up being basically saying like oh i'm not going to do that And then now this news breaks where he's just developing his own thing so uh yeah i'm, I'm curious to see like which of these projects is actually going to come out first and like what the, the scope might be like, jordan's one is and all that so uh all right so talking about superheroes let's go into another superhero related story here and that is that uh, james gunn has a potential marvel and dc crossover that he kind of like has uh in the back of his mind brad what's going on there Yeah, so I
1: mean, the idea of a Marvel DC crossover isn't out of the question. It's happened in comic books before. But of course, you know, big screen licensing rights make it a little bit more complicated to happen uh, on the big screen. You know, for a while, it was hard enough uh, having certain Marvel characters crossover into one another because Fox owned a variety of Marvel characters. And then so did uh, Disney and Marvel Studios. Um, So James Gunn, you know, now has his toe in both the Marvel world and the DC world since he's the director of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise and now this new Suicide Squad movie. And because of that, apparently he's talked with DC and Marvel people about this idea he has to uh, do some kind of crossover with Harley Quinn and Groot of all characters. (laughs) Um, It's nothing that's like, you know, in the works or like actively in development or anything like that but it's something that he's he's thought of before and he has talked to people at Marvel and DC about it. And uh, he says, you know, the both parties are, are open to, you know, these ideas, but, you know, whether or not it's something that can logistically happen, you know, based on rights and working out how, you know, uh, a box office deal and distribution deal and that kind mm-hmm. of thing would work out between Disney and Warner Brothers, you know, that's what makes it a lot more complicated. Um, but, you know, it's, there are t- two characters that could be, you know, a lot of fun together. Harley has kind of the, the same madcap energy that someone like Rocket uh, Raccoon has where she's kind of playfully villainous in a a way and Rocket Raccoon is kind of uh, villainously heroic, I guess you could say he's yeah, very, yeah. very mischievous. Um, and so, teaming Harley Quinn with Groot, you know, kind of makes sense. Groot would basically, you know, be the, the her big tall sidekick, essentially. And it's not hard to imagine them having some weird adventures together.
0: Uh, I, I was thinking it would be baby Groot for some reason, but I, I think you're probably right. That makes more sense, I guess, for a, a, a larger version of Groot. But um... that's an interesting take as well. Actually, Harley Quinn walking around with little baby Groot is also pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, like, do you think, like you said, that you know the the corporate um, uh, hurdles that Han would that that James Gunn would have to overcome to get this actually realized seem. Maybe insurmountable, but do you think that there's a chance that this something like this could actually happen? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's out of the realm of
1: possibility. I mean, uh, you look at what happened between Sony and Marvel when Sony, ha- um, you know, they hold the rights to Spider-Man and uh, a bunch of characters tied to the Marvel comics involving him. And they were able to create a deal with Marvel Studios to share Spider-Man so that he could join the Marvel Cinematic Universe and give us, you know, these big crossovers that fans had been wanting for a long time. So I, I don't think it's um, impossible for a deal to be worked out somehow. I think that it, it would take a lot of time and concessions on the parts of uh, executives and probably the creatives uh, by association. But I mean, considering DC's box office success hasn't been as strong as marvels has maybe they're they'd be interested in doing that because they know that it'll be something that would help their bottom line and might give them a little bit of a boost with both uh dc and marvel fans um but like the other hurdle i guess we you have and that this is something that could be surmountable uh at least in the near future um is that marvel's movies all you know connect to each other there there's you know narrative connections between all of them in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so if you suddenly have Groot hanging out with uh, Harley Quinn, then, you know, does that mean Harley Quinn and the rest of the DC characters she's associated with are now part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Mm -hmm. That's something that's explained now with the idea of the multiverse being introduced in Loki and having major ramifications on the rest of the MCU. So this could easily be a story that takes place in one of those alternate timelines, Um, but you know, again, it's, it really is all about the business side of this deal and how, how that could be worked out and if it can be worked out.
0: Yeah. And it it seems like, uh, James Gunn has mentioned this specifically to Margot Robbie as well. He said, I've discussed this extensively with Margot Robbie. And I think Harley and Groot would have fabulous adventures together. Um, that was in a tweet from February of last year. So this is something that he really has been thinking about for, for a little bit now. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of an intriguing possibility. I think it's almost more intriguing, I mean, it's intriguing on the one level of like, it would be fun to see those particular characters together, but it's, I think it's more intriguing of just like the implications. Like if this one movie can happen where these two characters can come across the aisle and star in the same film together, does that then open the floodgates for like all sorts of other possibilities of future crossovers and stuff? And like, obviously comic book movies are like the biggest thing in Hollywood right now. And um, the I think it's it's safe to say right now that the future of of the film industry is sort of hanging in the balance with COVID and everything like nobody knows exactly how this is going to shake out. So if comic book movies become the thing that is like the only, you know, one of the only big viable, uh, uh, I guess, like options to, to make money theatrically even more than it already had been. Uh, maybe it it makes it a little bit more likely that a, a crossover like this between two big comic book movie companies would would be possible. So, um, yeah. I,
1: oh, plus, I think that the like the idea there too is something. This could be something that where Marvel again kind of paves the way for a big movement in Hollywood. Because when the Marvel Cinematic Universe started taking shape, all of a sudden studios were all about you know, big crossovers and building their own cinematic universes with the franchises that they had. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just recently we were talking about why hasn't the G.I. Joe and Transformers, you know, crossover happened when that seems like such a big box office, you know, um, possibility. And I think that if they figure out a way to do something that has a DC Marvel crossover, whether it's, you know, Harley Quinn and Groot or, or something else, then that could pave the way for studios to be like, you know what, fuck it. Let's try, you know, mixing these things together. And in one way that sounds like, uh, just a terrible space jam warner brothers server versus nightmare uh, <laughs> that will take that will take over hollywood but it, there are ways to do it i think uh, in a creative way and then the the other side of this too i think is that uh, recently we just we heard that marvel was um, gonna have a whole animation studio so maybe this is Uh, something that that could be explored in that way and not have any effect on you know the the larger marvel cinematic universe
0: that is interesting yeah i hadn't thought about that and i guess harley quinn has her own hbo max show so maybe like groot could be there could be like a one-off or something with where it's like that version of Harley Quinn from that show, or it could be like a whole different thing with Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, as a completely different, like uh, animated version of that character. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a great point. Um, okay. So let's talk about our next story here, which is a new exorcist trilogy is in the works. We've, you know, I think late last week we were talking about David Gordon green, who recently directed and sort of revived the Holly, uh, the Halloween franchise, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, he is going to be directing an exorcist movie that is going to be a a direct sequel to the original film. And now we've learned that uh, thanks to the New York times, they broke this news that uh, David Gordon Green is actually going to be overseeing a a whole new exorcist trilogy of movies and uh, Leslie Odom jr. Who starred in one night in Miami and he was in Hamilton. He's been a bunch of other stuff. Uh, is going to star in these movies, and Ellen Burstyn, who earned an Oscar nomination for her performance as the mother in the original Exorcist film, is going to be coming back to the franchise for the first time. So she showed up in that first movie, but she did not appear in any of the sequels or prequels or any of the the other uh, franchise stuff that that has come out since then. Um, We know David Gordon Green is going to be directing just the first of these new movies. It's unclear whether or not he's actually going to be directing the second and third uh, he's going to be serving as a screenwriter, um, Danny McBride, uh, who helped him develop these new Halloween films, uh, wrote the story along with a guy named Scott teams who worked on the film called the quarry. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on here. Um, I mean, just like a uh, gut check reaction, Brad, the idea of a a trilogy of, uh, new exorcist movies with Leslie Odom jr. And Ellen Burstyn, what are your thoughts?
1: Uh, $400 million sounds like a lot of money to spend on three movies for a film franchise that hasn't really been a viable box office draw for what? decades
0: now (laughs) yeah that's a great point i did not mention that yeah 400 million or like right around there i think the um the netflix deal for the the, uh knives out two and knives out three was somewhere in the realm of like 450 million and this is going to be around there for three movies so uh yeah that is a lot of money um but i mean on one hand like sure yeah go for it like good for everybody involved like yeah i mean yeah way,
1: way to get your paychecks i yeah i just don't know like i mean Um, I, I will, you know, concede that I have not, you know, been super involved with the Exorcist franchise, but, you know, since the sequels aren't really movies that you hear much about, you know, in the same breath as the original movie and, you you, not a lot of people are like stamping their feet being like, where's the, the new Exorcist movie? Uh, I, you know, (laughs) I don't, I don't know. Um, so the original is obviously a classic, you know, it, it made waves in horror and it kind of changed the genre and, you know ushered in a whole new new era for um, scary movies. And it was a big deal at the time. But, you know, horror has changed so much. And I just wonder what you do with The Exorcist that makes it so that it doesn't just feel like every other exorcism movie that's out there. Because even in modern horror all exorcism movies are chasing the exorcist. They're, right. just, they're just allowed to be more graphic and scary because we're in a completely different era where people aren't as scared and conservative about, you know, uh, devil cults and, you know, demons and all that stuff. So I, I just don't know what, what you know, what's going to be so special about these three movies that is going to be worth this much money. <laughs>
0: right right yeah and like so I, I should say some of the plot details have come out about this so leslie odin jr is going to be playing the father of a, of a possessed child desperate for help he tracks down ellen burson's character from the first movie and pazuzu who is the demonic entity who possessed linda blair's character in the first film is quote-unquote not thrilled to see ellen burson's character again so we have some questions about that like this woman, you know, I, I, first of all, for the record, Brad, I've only seen the first exorcist as well. So I am not like deeply engaged in exorcist mm-hmm. lore. But, you know, my memory of that first movie is that Ellen Burstyn's character is basically just she, I think her character is an actress and she is a mother to this young girl. And the young girl becomes possessed. And Ellen Burson just plays this sort of like frantic mother who does whatever she can to help her daughter out. It's not like she has, you know, some sort of connection to the supernatural on her own or like, was uh, you know part and parcel of like actually expelling this demon from her daughter. She just like gets the the clergy involved, and these priests come and per, uh, like perform an exorcism as the, in the big like set piece of the movie. So why this demon would be not thrilled to see what is essentially just a random woman? Um, I, I have some questions about that. And then you know that basically when the press release came out to confirm this New York Times story, they said the same thing, you know, uh, Leslie Odom jr, Ellen Burson, but they didn't give any details about exactly how many of these three movies those people are going to be in. So is this a story that is going to play out over the course of an entire trilogy where like a father is trying desperately to get this demon out of his daughter for three full movies? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I still, like I said, have some questions here, but
1: maybe we're looking at a, uh a terminator situation here where after this the the exorcism you know from the first movie you know ellen burston's character she's taking it upon herself to learn everything she can about oh. demons and she's become you know an, an exorcist in her own right and now <laughs> now she's just like the most badass exorcist on the block <laughs> and so pazuzu's like oh fuck <laughs>
0: I would love that if we're introduced to Ellen Burson. I have no idea how old the actual Ellen Burson is in real life. But if we get an introduction to her in this new movie where she's doing uh, (laughs) pull-ups for no reason, that would be unreal. I would love that. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, maybe maybe some of these questions will be answered soon. But in the meantime, let's talk about our final story of the day, which involves a live action series in the works at Netflix based on a a pretty popular uh, property. Brad, tell me about that one.
1: Yes, Pokemon is still big. People still love catching all these little pocket monsters. (laughs) Um, And there's been plenty of animated projects tied to Pokemon over the years, tons of different series, movies, and whatnot. Uh, And Netflix is now finally... Uh, in the process of creating a live-action Pokemon series that will be coming from Joe Henderson, uh, who's the co-showrunner and executive producer of Lucifer, uh, which is finishing up on Netflix pretty soon, Uh, and he's also been working on an adaptation of the comic Shadecraft for Netflix as well. So he'll be turning Pokemon into some kind of live-action series. Uh, We don't know specifically what part of the Pokemon universe they'll be focusing on, if this will uh you know, feature the, the staple main characters from the original iteration of Pokemon like um, Ash Ketchum and Pikachu, or if it will dig more into the other sequels of the, the games and, and movies and whatnot that, that have followed. Uh, but the idea of a live action Pokemon series is something that fans have wanted for a long time. So much that there are, like there have been countless, you know, fan films and and fan trailers imagining what it might look like if there was like uh, a live action, even gritty version of Pokemon that came to the big screen in some form. So uh, I'm sure Netflix is going to throw a bunch of money at this. Uh, they've been throwing a lot of money at anime in general, even animated projects that aren't technically anime that they're calling anime. They've been all, <laughs> all about that. So uh, this is a, uh, you know, uh, an interesting approach for them. And you have to imagine this is probably the beginning of, you know, an even larger effort on their part to do something with Pokemon. They've, I guess they've um, snatched up some, several animated projects that are part of their streaming library right now. And so Uh, This could just be, you know, the beginning of a whole new wave of Pokemon projects for them.
0: So we were talking before we started recording, Brad, about our relationships with Pokemon, and I sort of like missed the entire uh phenomenon in the in the what 90s and early 2000s i just sort of like missed the entire thing i have not seen detective pikachu i'm just like completely ignorant when it comes to all things pokemon but you uh i remember you talking on on this podcast before about playing you got really obsessed with playing uh, pokemon go for a while and i know you've seen detective pikachu so <laughs> by by that uh you know metric you are the expert of this particular episode this <laughs> podcast so uh so what do you think about this the idea of the, this live action show like you mentioned those um those fan uh, films that have been percolating for years and years. Do you think that this is something that is actually going to be, I don't know, like creatively successful from the guy who runs
1: Lucifer? I mean, it likely depends on, you know, once we finally see the trailer, it's something that fans will be curious about, but man, Pokemon fans are diehard. So like, they're going to be expecting a lot from this. So it'll be an uphill battle. Um, Also having not seen Lucifer, I don't necessarily know, you know, what to expect from, someone like joe henderson with a project like this but pokemon is just has such a big sprawling mythology and world that you know there's there's so much that you can pick up on and like it it should shouldn't be too hard to do something that stays loyal to you know what people want from pokemon like you know they they want to see these monsters battling and they want to see characters that they haven't seen in live action for a long time
0: Mm -hmm. uh
1: like ash so i you know i think that uh there's a lot of potential here and it all depends on the execution, you know, because obviously you're not going to just echo what they did in the anime because anime has, especially when it comes to Pokemon has a tone that's hard to translate to American cinema. You know, it's, it's a little bit uh, goofy and like, it's honestly the best way to do this would be just to have like something that's akin to speed racer because speed racer was somehow able to take the silly, stylish side of that original anime and turn it into this visual feast of a, a, you know, a wild, vibrant blockbuster. Um, I I love Speed Racer. And so if, if, if Henderson was able to do something like that, that would be awesome. But I have a feeling that this will be something a little more subdued and something that's probably a little more I don't want to say grounded because the idea of having monsters fight that you keep in tiny balls uh, (laughs) and and competing in tournaments across the world isn't necessarily grounded. But I feel like it'll be something that is that's, you know, made to have it feel like it's a, a lived in world as opposed to this like heightened, you know, cartoon universe.
0: Yeah, I think the point you made earlier is is a good one though about like if Netflix is really using this as potentially a um, you know, a testing the waters kind of situation, you know, they probably paid a decent amount of money to get the rights to to make a show like this. So, uh, it would make sense that they would want to go even more all in on on making Pokémon stuff. So maybe they are going to take some creative risks and, and actually pump a ton of money into this thing because, I mean, we've seen how much money Netflix has to throw around. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think I would love the idea of them taking that Speed Racer approach. Yeah, because of um,
1: Pikachu, I think that's, that's partially where the movie failed. Aside from the fact that it took one of the weirder stories from Pokemon video games and turned it into a movie, the presence of, like, Ryan Reynolds as this, you know, talking Pikachu with, with the, you know, Reynolds sarcasm and charm and combining it with almost like a, I don't know, like a a real steel, you know, Ready Player One-esque, you know, environment where, mm-hmm. you know, the Pokemon feel like they're, they're, they've just been brought to life with like a a computer animated render, you know, basically like they feel like they, like they came from the Warner brothers server verse again. Uh, (laughs) You know? So, so I, um, I think that doing something that's maybe a little more uh, stylized could, could be beneficial to a series like this.
0: Cool. All right. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll be keeping a close eye on that. I'm sure. And that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash from daily. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show. At slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode Slashfilm daily is published every weekday bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple google overcast spotify all of the popular podcast apps and send your feedback questions comments and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.